Hello, and welcome back to another week on Exhaling Words, the language podcast where I talk and you listen. For those of you who don't know, my name is Aaron, and I will be your host. So, the past four or five episodes have been generally about either Persian-related topics, Iranian-related topics, or, you know, my experience studying those languages and my PhD and whatnot, or my attempt at a PhD, I should say. And something that sort of came out of that was my desire to do like a long series on Arabic stuff. And so I'm working on setting up a series for explaining different dialects of Arabic, the whole standard Arabic versus colloquial Arabic uh, explanation and debate about study, as well as an introduction to sort of non-concatenative morphology and how Arabic works. Before we start that, however, I kind of want to take like a bye week to use a sports reference and just sort of do something chill. And by chill, I mean, I didn't plan this episode. It sort of popped into my head today. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to talk about this. And I'm going to try to do a couple of these to to break up the monotony of, you know, three months probably worth of Arabic episodes. So you're welcome. <laughs> So today, I want to talk about a highly contested topic on the internet among the language learning community, and that is specifically Duolingo, but also I might get in a little bit into questions of just sort of apps and what they can do for you and stuff like that. I'm going to preface this with, this isn't a review. I'm not going to sit here and tear apart Duolingo, or and not tear apart in a bad way, but you know, dissect it. I'm Nobody's asked me to do this. I mean, people have asked me my opinion on Duolingo before and on other apps and whatnot, but nobody, you know, Duolingo has not approached me about a review. I wish they would because I could probably get some good money out of them. But no, I just, this is one of those topics that comes up all the time. People are like, what do you think of Duolingo? Or why do you use Duolingo? Because I do. People also, you know, bring up, you know, what do you think of this app? What do you think of that app or whatever? And so I think it just makes sense to sort of discuss it at least a little bit. So yeah, let's get into it. So Duolingo, for those of you who don't know, is a website and an app. A lot of people just know about the app and then they realize there are features on the site that aren't on the app, which is something I'll get into in a second. And Duolingo claims to teach you a language. Duolingo has millions of users and and they are quite successful. So by all means, I'm not going to act like, you know, they're not, they're not a successful language learning website or app. And to be honest, I'm not even going to say that they're bad or something. Like, you know, the 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 short version of this episode is Duolingo's okay. That's it. But I want to talk about why. So Duolingo is a website. It teaches several languages. Spanish, French, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, all sorts of European languages. You know, Hungarian, Danish, Norwegian. Uh, Swedish, German, Italian, you know, a lot of sort of the big ones that people think about. And then in the past few years, they've been starting to branch out into, I think, I think they first branched into sort of doing East Asian and they did Chinese, um, Mandarin Chinese, Japanese and Korean. And then at the same time, they started working on um, some indigenous languages, which was really cool. They have Guarani, which is taught in Spanish. They have it's specifically Paraguayan Guarani. They have, I probably should have done my research on this. 
Okay, so Duolingo has Spanish, French, Japanese, German, Korean, Italian, Chinese, Hindi, Russian, Arabic, Portuguese, Turkish, Dutch, Latin, Swedish, Irish, Greek, Polish, Norwegian, Bokmol, uh, Hebrew, Vietnamese, Hawaiian, Indonesian, Danish, Finnish, Welsh, High Valyrian, Romanian, Scottish Gaelic, Czech, Swahili, Hungarian, Ukrainian, Klingon, Esperanto, Navajo, and now Yiddish has been its latest one. And these are just the languages that they teach in English. So then they also have courses in other languages. So for example, the Guarani course is in Spanish. So if I go onto the website and I say, I speak Spanish, then they have English, French, Italian, Portuguese, German, Russian, Catalan. Catalan is taught in Spanish, Guarani, Esperanto, and Swedish. And so they now sort of, they teach other languages in other languages. So right now they have like English for Telugu speakers, or it's in the process of being developed. And, and they're really growing a lot. This is part of the thing is that like they're trying to expand what languages are being taught and in what other languages. So sometimes it's English for speakers of other languages. Sometimes it's just, I don't want to say random, but like here I opened up their incubator. They have French for Turkish speakers coming. They're working on Yucatec for Spanish speakers. They're working on Quiche for Spanish speakers. Italian for German, Haitian Creole, I'm so excited for that one. Damer for English speakers, Swedish for Russian speakers. So, you know, they have people, oh, Maori for English speakers, that one will be cool. So they have people working on all of these. Now, this is sort of done, I don't know how to word this. This is done sort of like, I don't want to call it a GoFundMe, but it's, it's not that Duolingo hires people to go do this. It's that people sort of volunteer. And so... I don't know the whole process, but, you know, people will talk about this online for a while. They'll be in the Duolingo forums and enough people will sort of apply to build a course and Duolingo will look at their qualifications and whatnot. And eventually they'll build that course. Now, the individual courses then are sort of varied. They all generally have very similar structure. They try to hit on regular, you know, topics like everyday topics as well as the fundamental grammar and structures of the language that they're teaching. Some are way more developed than others. So obviously the older ones, like Spanish and French and German, are super developed. They now have like specialty courses where, where they'll teach you slang, they'll teach you, you know, terms of endearment, cutesy phrases, stuff like that. They those also have now have podcasts and have like reading sections. So sometimes I just to get the points, I would um do the readings in Portuguese because I could click through them really fast and they're not as boring as, as, you know, reviewing the present tense or something. But then you have other languages like, like the Navajo course or the Arabic course, and they're very, very, very limited. It's not just, it's a new course, but it's like the structure they did was also literally smaller. So Duolingo was built around trees. They called the, you know, the tree. And so, you know, like the Spanish tree might have something like 50 plus, 70 plus, I don't even call them lessons, like topics. And then inside each of those topics, you can have anywhere from like one to 10 lessons. And so that one's huge. While the Navajo tree, I think when I looked at it, had something like 10 topics. So part of it is also just the development. Some of that's dependent on resource, you know, it's just Navajo is not a commonly taught language. Even people who are teaching it don't have a lot of resources. So to try to build a whole, you know, web page that does that and factor it into an app and all these things is hard. But 
some of it is also time. So the courses develop and people add new features. They add new lessons um, as the volunteers have time. The audio gets better and whatnot. Like when the Swahili course launched, it had almost no audio. Now it has maybe 50% or so. I haven't checked in, in several months. And, and, you know, and again, it's just sort of hit or miss. Like the Irish course has hit or miss audio while the Scottish Gaelic course has 100% audio. And so everything, you know, that's said and done has audio accompanying it, which I love. And so it's difficult because it's not always consistent. So you can study one language on there and it's great. And then you can study another language on there and it's like, what is this? Again, I don't think that's Duolingo's fault per se, because they're not hiring people to build this and advertising it, you know, like that. It's very much sort of a community-based project when they're building the course. Obviously, they have, you know, layers of, of qualifications and validations that people go through, and they have a certain level of quality control, but at the end of the day, Duolingo is not paying teachers and paying linguists to come in and build these courses. And so there are, you know, there's just always going to be limitations to what can be done. Now, the big question that everybody always asks is, can I learn a language through Duolingo? And I think the answer to this is both yes and no. Yes, you can learn through Duolingo. You are, if you use it properly, if you use it regularly every day, you will learn something. You will learn vocabulary. You will learn a fundamental amount of structure. You might learn good listening skills, maybe even good reading skills, different things depending on, again, the course and the language. But I would never actually make the claim that like Duolingo teaches you a language in its entirety. What I genuinely think that Duolingo can teach you is individual things like maybe fundamental pronunciation, fundamental grammar and structures, uh, vocabulary, maybe some good colloquialisms for the more advanced courses like Spanish and French and Portuguese and German. Yes, there's a lot more there. I think there are struggles to some of the courses, like the way it teaches, you know, writing systems and kanji and hanzu and stuff like that in the Chinese and the Japanese courses, I think is a struggle. Or there are some weird things, I think, like in the Korean course, they always start with the high-level form of formality with, with the umnida forms, which I think is a little bit less practical. And so some of it might be weird, some of it might not be the best, but I think at the end of the day, you can learn the fundamentals. And, and, and all of that comes with a caveat of it depends on the course and the people who made it and so on and so forth. That being said, I want to give you a couple of examples of how I have used Duolingo and what the results have been. So I've used Duolingo both like in its entirety as well as sort of like as a supplement and as a dabble. And those are sort of the three levels that I think one can can use it. So let's start with in its entirety. By in its entirety, I mean like you use Duolingo as your primary source to learn a language. Again, I'm not going to recommend this for some of the less commonly taught languages that Duolingo has. Like the Navajo course is quite limited. Even the Hawaiian course is quite limited. And so I think there are, without sounding redundant, limitations to what you can do with them. But if you're trying to learn Spanish, French, Portuguese, German... The the Russian course is quite extensive. Uh, my experience was the Dutch course, which was quite extensive. 
you know, I think, I think you have a better chance with those. So I went to the Netherlands in 2015 for a summer program at Leiden University. And the program was done in English. I didn't have to know Dutch. And if you've been to the Netherlands, you know that English is incredibly, you know, widely spoken. Um, It's one of those countries where you can go without knowing any Dutch and really get by without a big issue, especially if you're staying in like Amsterdam or Leiden or somewhere. I think if you go into a smaller town, yeah, then you might have some problems. But if you're in Amsterdam, if you're in Leiden, if you're in one of the major cities, you know, you can go to the Netherlands, never have to speak English or sorry, never have to speak Dutch. However, me being the big nerd that I am was like, even if I'm going to the Netherlands for two weeks, I want to speak some Dutch. Especially because, I know this is a weird thing, but this is a phenomenon for people like us, is that, you know, people make assumptions about you and the language you speak based on the way you look. So when I lived in Jordan, people just assumed I didn't speak Arabic, and so I had to really sort of fight to speak Arabic. But because I am, you know, an Anglo-Saxon, you know, heritage, I mean, because I'm white, but you know, white is not commonly used as a term in in Europe. But because I'm white, and specifically, I'm not just white, but I mean, I am Anglo-Saxon and Germanic, like, I fit in more or less in the Netherlands. I'm not quite as tall, maybe, as a lot of people. But, you know, I would walk into shops and people would assume I was Dutch before I, you know, said anything. So a few months before my trip, I started doing the Duolingo course for Dutch. I thought, you know, this would be cool. I speak decent German, you know, and obviously I speak English and French and stuff. And so this shouldn't be too, too bad. I didn't really have any Dutch books. I didn't worry about getting Dutch books. I was like, I just want to, you know, do some basic conversational stuff. I want to be able to, you know, walk into a cafe, order some food, or um, I was renting an apartment, which was done in English. But like, if I need to go grocery shopping, I want to be able to, you know, go grocery shopping, find the stuff I need, check out. Like, you know, I was looking for bare minimum conversational, you know, like a comfortable maybe A2 kind of thing. So I did the Duolingo Dutch tree. And I and I did it well. Like I'm I'm not just saying, oh, I clicked through stuff or whatever, but I mean I went back and I reviewed, I studied. I didn't, you know, make the whole tree. I think this was actually before they had like crowns and the different levels on the trees where you could have, you know, like you could be at level one, two, three, four, or five. And now they have like ultimate or something, which I haven't even played with. This was back when it was just like you completed a tree or or sorry, you completed a lesson and then that lesson was there and you could review it and it could start to like get weak and you could review it. It would sort of like the image would crack or crumble or whatever. So I did the whole tree. I didn't rush through it. I took my time. I did it, you know, over over a few months and it went all right. I mean... To this day, you know, here we are six years later, I remember an okay amount of Dutch. I wouldn't sit here and try to speak or anything, but, like, if I wanted to read something online, like, it doesn't look foreign to me. I remember more or less how things are pronounced. I have lost, clearly, a lot of vocabulary, although I think I've retained also a fair amount, but that's because of knowing German at a much higher level than than the Dutch that I studied, and so there were things that just sort of, I read it and it makes sense because it's cognate to German. But, you know, it was okay. And when I got to the Netherlands, I didn't, again, I really didn't have to speak Dutch at all while I was there. My entire program was in English. The community that I was in, you know, like everybody who was in the program 
were all English speaking. We were super diverse. We were from all over Europe and all over the world. And so English was the lingua franca for us. Even the people who lived in Netherlands who, who, you know, were the professors at Leiden, like they, they, you know, they spoke English with all of us. I guess maybe sometimes they might speak Dutch, but even then, like Leiden University is a very diverse place. And especially when you're there in their linguistics department, and so much of that program, even like at a PhD level, when you're there full time is conducted in English. It's not really, you know, like the Dutch stuff at Leiden is more for the undergrads, not the graduate students. And so, you know, I really didn't have to speak Dutch anywhere besides maybe, you know, going out to dinner. And again, you go out in a group, you speak English, like nobody, you know, your waitress usually speaks English or, or, you know, your, your, your waiter or whoever. And so it wasn't really anything I had to worry about. However, there were, you know, occasions where, like, I went into a ca- uh, into a cafe, and again, because I look like I could potentially be Dutch, people would just start with me in Dutch. And so I'd, I'd go up, they'd, you know, hi, how are you, whatever, and I'd be like, I'm fine, thanks. And then, you know, they might be like, you know, what can I get for you or something, and then I would struggle. And it's not that I couldn't, I think the hard part with... Duolingo at the end of the day is Duolingo doesn't do much in terms of conversation. Yes, a lot of the courses now have speaking features where they'll ask you to like repeat after someone and 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 it's even gotten better like it used to just be repeat and I don't know how they how they did it on the technology side and now it'll be down to like you repeat and they'll tell you which words were wrong. I'm trying to remember what course this is in. Of course, it's not, you know, it's not going to be in the Yiddish course or something. But one of the older courses I was playing with it the other day, maybe Polish or... Oh, I don't think it was Polish. Polish or something. Um, or Danish, maybe. Uh, yes, it was Danish. Especially because Danish is tough with, with you know, Danish has stu, um, stud. Stud. I don't know if you pronounce the D there or not, but it's sort of these like glottal stops where kind of they eat the ends of some of their syllables. And so pronouncing Danish can be hard. And I would do the recordings and they would come back and be like, these were the words you struggled with, which is cool. I mean, the technology is getting there, but that still does not mimic a conversation. It's not teaching you conversational Danish. Because there isn't a real conversation happening. What it's teaching you is here's a phrase, please repeat it. Now, it's not just phrases like Rosetta Stone. This is why I don't like, you know, things like Rosetta Stone. But, it, you know, they do teach you grammar. If you go on the website, and some of the languages do have it in the app. They'll have a section called tips. And again, this is dependent on who were the creators of the website or who were the creators of the course and, and you know, and what what all did they give you but they do explain grammar for the most part you know they'll teach it they'll they'll tell you this is how this works this is how this works this is the genitive this is whatever and uh sometimes it's funny like really like you know you can see the personality behind the creators of that language's course like in the scottish one there was a joke about like you know the weather in scotland and they were like here's all these phrases and it's like but you'll probably never have to use half of them because it's always just cloudy and rainy you know and so like it's it's cute but it's it's also hit or miss. Like sometimes they explain stuff and I don't think it's fair. Like when I did the Greek course, they were explaining they didn't really explain or teach the 
the concept of aspect and sort of what is a perfect verb versus a what, what is an imperfect verb. And so when they were teaching the subjunctive and they're telling you, you know, I want to do this, fellow na, and then the verb after it can be imperfect subjunctive or perfect. Well, I shouldn't even call it imperfect subjunctive. It can be the future subjunctive or the present subjunctive of a perfect verb or of a per- perfective verb or an imperfective verb. And the course has already taught you the imperfective form of to walk or to go for a walk. And then in these sentences, they're using the perfective form. And then you get into the form and people are like, what is this verb? What's happening? Why are we doing this? Because there's not, I don't want to say there's not thought there, but this is, again, this is not a structured episode. Sorry. This is another problem is sometimes the people teaching don't think about these things because a lot of them, no offense, aren't teachers. Some of them are and, and, and you see it and it's hit or miss, but it's like, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, if I were teaching a class, I would not give sample sentences that looked like this because people don't know all the grammar in that sentence. Or if I did, honestly, I would use bad grammar and I've done that before. You know, so for example, in Arabic, if you have a verb that comes after N, it has to be in the mansub and the mansub for the second and the third person plurals and in other forms ends with a wow alif. And so, you know, if you say like, they want to go yuridun and yadhabu, I would tell my students, like, you know, if you want to say yuridun and yadhabun, that's fine. Like, until they, te- until they learn that grammar, I'm not going to mark them wrong for it. And this becomes a struggle with an app. In a classroom, I can control that environment. In an app, I either have to put down a sentence that is wrong, or I have to at least make, I have to make a valid answer, like, say, a correct possible answer is something that is wrong. Or I have to not put a sentence like that at all so that students aren't confused. You know, so this is part of the struggle of it, of of just teaching and, and of building apps like this um, in general. And, and this is why I say, like, I don't say any of this to insult Duolingo or to insult the people who created the Greek course or any course that has these sorts of problems. It's just these are valid concerns when you're learning. You might see something and be like, what the hell is that? And get confused and not know what's going on. And you have to sort of take it with a grain of salt and be like, well, this is a language learning app that has mistakes or that has limitations to it. Okay, so I realized that I got a little bit off track here. But so with Dutch, I felt like I did the whole course. It was okay. Like outside of conversational, like speaking, I understood, you know, spoken Dutch probably around that level, around like A2. And I could read and write around that level, you know, and so... I would say, like, it was successful. Again, I'm not learning Dutch to a C level. And actually, I mean, grammar-wise, I probably learned the grammar of B1, not, you know, no questions asked. But insofar as actual use is concerned, I was probably looking at, you know, maybe an A2. Another thing that I do like to use Duolingo for, and this is most of what I do, is I like to use Duolingo as a supplement, At the end of the day, when we're talking about resources, and for those of you who have been following me for a while, even before I started the podcast, I love, you know, a plurality of resources and being able to say, you know, this is my primary book, but I also use YouTube videos and I also use music and I also use this other book because it's useful for grammar or something. At the end of the day, a resource is a resource. It still has value as a resource. And one of the things that people have to consider when they're building websites, when they're building apps and things like this is, 
user interface. The Duolingo user interface is nice. You know, one of the reasons I don't like Anki and I prefer Memrise over Anki is the user interface of Memrise, which is now being changed and I don't know how I feel about it. But I like the pleasantness of it. I like the fact that it does the time windows for me. I like the fact that a lot of sort of actual use is automated. Whereas with Anki, it's so much as I have to pick it all and it, you know, it might just be dry and boring and not pretty. And, you know, user interface is something to be considered when you're building a product. Duolingo is the same thing. The user interface of Duolingo is nice. Playing, you know, with words and sentences on an app that's cute, that's nice. It's easy to use. Some days I don't want to sit down with a textbook and worry about like looking through the grammar of my Yiddish textbook or my Scottish textbook. And I just want to sit down and play with an app on my phone for 10, 15 minutes and then go to bed. And so that's, that's where I think Duolingo's true value is. It's not as a primary resource to learn a language, but as a supplement, as something that is almost relaxing to use, that is less stressful to use and to, and to interact with. And so that's where most of my Duolingo uses is, is I use Duolingo to supplement things. Like I have my Hebrew textbooks. I have all these resources that I use Hebrew for. I'll use Duolingo Hebrew just to practice, just to have some exposure to Hebrew today because I don't feel like sitting down with the textbook. And so for me, that's, that's the real benefit of Duolingo. And I use it for so many languages for that. Turkish, Hebrew, Russian, Yiddish, Scottish Gaelic, Irish, when I was doing Irish, a lot of things were sort of, you know, this is my supplement to my actual study in the rest of my life. To me, that's really where Duolingo's true value is, is in its presence as a supplement, as one of multiple resources for somebody to learn. The last thing I sort of want to talk about is using Duolingo to dabble. And this is something I've been doing recently more, and I've done it in the past as well, is Sometimes you don't know, like, do I really want to commit to this language? You know, you're like, I'm, I'm interested. Do I want to go out and spend money on a book or a course and then find out I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say I don't like this language, but I don't vibe with it in the same way as another language. I don't know if I really want to commit the time and the energy to it. And I think Duolingo helps with that. Now, again, Duolingo has a limited number of languages and a limited amount of resources. So if you say, like, I'm really interested in, in Tibetan, Duolingo doesn't have a Tibetan course. But Duolingo has Finnish. Duolingo has Hungarian. I mean, it's not like Duolingo only has Spanish, French, and Chinese kind of thing. You know, Duolingo has a, a, a decent number of courses that a lot of people are interested in. You know, and so I've used it for this purpose. I've done, like, a Welsh dabble. I've done an Irish dabble. It, it was what sort of helped me get into Scottish Gaelic and realize that I like Scottish Gaelic, I think, a little bit more than I like Irish. And so that's why I've been doing Scottish Gaelic. It's, I've, I've used it to dabble with Hawaiian. I've used it to dabble with Danish and Czech and Ukrainian. And some of that are, is dabble because, like, I do want to learn Czech. I do want to learn Danish and Ukrainian at some point. And I have books on them. Like, I've, I've gone to that level. Actually, I don't think I have Danish books, but I have Czech and Ukrainian books. But I'm also not at a point where I'm like, I need to dedicate time to Czech or dedicate, dedicate time to Ukrainian. And so this is sort of my way to dabble in it and keep it in my life and play with it a little bit without sitting down and being like, I'm seriously studying Ukrainian now with this textbook. 
So I think Duolingo also offers a lot to people there when it's about dabbling and experimenting with a new language, with another language, before you're really sure that you want to commit the time to it, or if you just are not able to commit the time to it. If you want to learn a language, but you're super busy, you're focused on other languages, you have a full-time job, whatever it may be, Duolingo might be one of these easy ways to be like, look, I have 10 minutes to sit down and play on my phone. Let me do a little bit of Danish. You know, so I think I think Duolingo does offer the user a lot there. So all of that said, I, I generally like to tell people, like, I think Duolingo is a fine resource. I don't think it by itself is going to teach you a language. And obviously, there is a limited number of languages. And within the language, there's a limited number of things that it can teach you or that it does teach you on the course. But I don't think it's one of those resources to be like, just, you know, throw it out. It's a decent resource. It's free. Its quality is, you know, decent. Some some languages are better than others. But generally, I don't think it's a bad thing to use. I would be hesitant to be like, I'm only using Duolingo to learn this language. I've done it before as an experiment, and and I would not recommend that to anybody. But if you're looking to supplement other resources that you have because they're limited maybe, or if you're looking to experiment with a new language and dabble or just go out and have some fun, I really do think Duolingo is a decent place to do that. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody. I just would also tell you to go into it with your head in the right place and not expect Duolingo to make you a fluent speaker of Spanish or something. That's just, it's just not going to happen. I wouldn't even say like, not just you're not going to be fluent, but Duolingo has limitations. It's, it's only so much, even if, even if in the higher courses like Spanish and, and, and German and French, they offer you slang, they offer you all these things, they do teach you more advanced grammar and advanced vocab, you're still missing out on real human contact and conversation and interaction and real life use of the language. Because, I mean, that's also, I didn't get into it, but people always complain about, oh, these are sentences I would never say. And I find it funny. I find it cute. I find it hilarious. And sometimes I remember those sentences and I remember the vocab because of it. And I think that's sort of Duolingo's point. But other people complain about that because they're like, when am I ever going to say my dog doesn't have the plate or something? And that's fine. You're probably not going to say it. But that's where you have to recognize that Duolingo is not the end all and be all for your language learning. So that is that. I'm going to edit this now and realize that it was totally unstructured and this is what you're getting. But stay tuned because in the coming weeks, we're going to have multiple episodes on dialects of Arabic and how I like to think of the different dialect groups, a series of at least one to two episodes about what is the difference between standard Arabic and colloquial Arabic and how to go about learning them, and probably also at least probably two episodes, if not more, on on non-concatenative morphology and how Arabic works as a grammatical system with roots and patterns and everything, which for those of you who know me, I can talk about this forever. So, if you have any comments or questions about this week's episode, by all means, please reach out to me. I love talking to you guys. My name is Polyglot Aaron, P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-E-R-I-N, on all major social media and at gmail.com. And I will see you all next time. Goodbye. <laughs>